Hello, and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of September 23rd, Pondering the Presidency. I'm your host, Dan Creeder, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss the presidential election that's only five weeks away and what it may mean for the near-term direction of credit spreads. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creeter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Okay, Dan, well, before diving into today's main topic, I figured we'd start just by providing a bit of a market overview. We've been talking for the past couple weeks about a pretty narrow range that credit spreads have been trading in for the last two months, really, and looks like that range remains in effect. Yeah, the range remains in effect, but given this risk-off move we've seen over the past two weeks, spreads are now at the top of that range. It seems possible that they could break out to the upside. We're now at 130 basis points in the Bloomberg Barclays Index, and the top of that range is just one basis point higher. So given the next couple days, it'll be interesting to see if spreads do break out of this range. But you're right, for now, spreads remain range-bound, and I think we're going to continue to see this floor and spreads remain as long as there's uncertainty with respect to the macro economy and the virus. The real question to me is whether we can break out to the upside in the next few sessions. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting if spreads finally do break out of the channels at the top side. That's something that hasn't happened really since the pandemic hit. There's been sort of two different plateaus with credit spreads, and both times we've broken narrower. We'll see how spreads break out of this third plateau. But I think our view remains unchanged. We remain underweight credit spreads here, and that's really for three primary reasons. The first one, of course, being elevated uncertainty in the next couple months surrounding the virus and stimulus and potential vaccine headlines. I think the virus is pretty self-explanatory as the Northern Hemisphere moves into the winter season. And I think this is the factor we've seen participate this small widening in credit spreads in the past week during this risk-off, as we've seen renewed pessimism surrounding the prospect for more fiscal stimulus with the somewhat unexpected passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and the Senate now focused on whether or not we're going to have another Trump nominee for the Supreme Court before the election. The second pillar of our tactical underweight credit view surrounds technicals. We've been calling for issuance to remain historically heavy through September and October during a typically heavy seasonal time period. And so far, that's what we've seen. Yeah, Dan, after a historically heavy August in investment-grade credit supply, the market was expecting a relatively tame $140 billion in September. Our listeners and readers will know that we were calling for modestly higher than that, or around $160 billion in September. Of course, on Monday, we walked into significantly worsened market tone that caused all issuers to stand down. Since then, we've seen pretty heavy issuance. Yesterday, we saw $15 billion in supply. Today, we have 14 deals set to price, so potentially even higher than that $15 billion. And we expect over the next few weeks for supply to remain heavy, and we think we're going to see that $160 billion supply over the month be realized. Even in the smaller SSA market, we were calling for $30 billion in supply, which 
would actually make September the third largest issuance month in the past three years for the SSA market. Heading into this week, we had $25 billion, and we're going to end the week with probably about $5 billion. So with another full week of issuance left, we've already hit that relatively heavy estimate of ours. So it does seem that issuance will remain heavier than market expectations and even heavier than our above consensus view. But I will say that so far, we haven't seen a huge impact of the heavy primary supply on credit spreads. New deals continue to go exceedingly well. Negative concessions in the IG market, very common, even some of that in the SSA market as well. But if supply remains as heavy as it has been for the next few weeks, we could start to see that have an increasingly large impact on credit spreads as we start to see a bit more indigestion. And now the third main factor that underpins our credit spread underweight is the U.S. election, which we're going to focus on for the remainder of today's podcast And to provide some context around this discussion, we went back and looked at the spread market reaction to previous elections, at least as far back as we have reliable spread data, which is about the past 20 years and encompasses five elections. Now, one of those elections is the 2008 election, which we pretty much have to throw out given the obvious impact of the financial crisis and its timing coinciding with the election. But that does give us four elections. I don't know how relevant anything more than 20, 25 years ago really is to today's markets anyways. So we went back and looked at those elections and we found a few trends that we could take away from the analysis. Yeah, Dan. So over the past five elections, we highlight four trends and each of these trends are more or less consistent with what we would have expected going in. But it does lend credence to the notion that the presidential election really does matter for credit markets. So the first one I want to highlight is that re-elections generally lead to the least amount of volatility and elections of a new president lead to more volatility. So following the 2004 and 2012 elections, spreads were little changed leading into and coming out of the elections, which is consistent with our logic as well as the expectation that a Trump win would more or less be marked by a continuation of the status quo. Now, in contrast, the 2000 and 2016 elections were both met by positive market reactions. Neither of these elections were broadly known ahead of time. Of course, 2016 was a pretty big surprise. 2000 was expected to be close. And in the longer term horizon following these elections, we saw spreads narrow in response. Yeah. So like you said, not overly unexpected, but confirmation that the trends observed in the past could likely be applied to this election as well. And the second factor is no different than that. And it's really that unification of both the Oval Office and Congress leads to a more severe reaction in credit spreads than does gridlock. And we can see clear evidence of that in the 2012 election, which was a split Congress with President Obama and a Republican Congress. And we saw almost no change in spreads from one month prior to the election to the three months after. There was a little bit of gyration in the middle. But then if we look at situations where there was a unified Congress, which 2000 and 2016 were both this case, where the Republicans held both the White House and Congress. Obviously, side note, 2008 was a Democratic sweep, but we can't really take anything away from those numbers. But if we look at 2000 and 2016, in both instances, we saw much more volatility surrounding the election. And in 2016 specifically, we saw an even larger move in three months than in the one month before and one month after the election, which just goes to this theory that if one political party controls the entire legislative process, we see a more sustained follow through in the reaction and credit spreads, given the ease for that political party to implement some of the platforms that they campaigned on. So what does that mean for this election? Well, first, it seems a Republican Congress and a Republican Oval Office is not really going to happen this time around. But 
if President Biden does win, we have to pay close attention to who wins the Senate and ultimately Congress to gauge how severe reaction in credit spreads we could expect. Now, Dan, what was the third trend that you observed as you looked at the past five elections? So we looked at election uncertainty and found that it's a pretty significant driver of spreads. So the only real example we have of this on record is the 2000 election. And in the five weeks or so following the election, the results were more or less unknown. And over this time, spreads moved about 15 to 20 basis points wider as the case ultimately went to the Supreme Court. And we applied our model for high-grade credit spreads over this time, and we estimate that that was worth about 20 basis points of short-lived widening. Of course, spreads gained back their losses in the couple of months following the resolution of this case. But it's possible that we see as much or even more underperformance this time around if the outcome were not known for a prolonged period of time for a couple of reasons. So first in 2000, while there was some uncertainty around the election, Bush was really the presumed winner for much of the time that the uncertainty prevailed. Gore was fighting for a recount that he was ultimately denied, but the amount of uncertainty there was not necessarily as strong as maybe it could be this time around. Uh, Obviously, who's to say what flavor this uncertainty takes in this election, but it's likely that we won't know the winner with certainty for a couple days or weeks following this election, given the amount of mail-in ballots that we're expecting. Also, with respect to this election, it's easy to, I think, imagine a scenario where one side disputes the results, which would lead to significantly more uncertainty than we had in 2000. This would also likely be accompanied by some amount of social unrest, which would be likely negative for spreads. So we think that possibly 20 to 30 basis points of short-lived spread weakness could follow an uncertain election result in November. And I think that's an extremely interesting observation because I think unlike previous elections, the uncertainty might be what defines the 2020 presidential election, the unknowns around the impact of COVID on voting patterns, on mail-in, all the factors that the market has been tracking for a long time. That uncertainty could very well be the largest impact of any of the factors we're discussing on the podcast here today. Finally, the fourth trend worth discussing in our analysis of the past five elections is that there's sort of this traditional assumption that Republicans are generally viewed as market-friendly and Democrats less so. So we'd expect a risk-on move in response to a Republican victory and a somewhat risk-off response to a Democratic victory. And we've observed that almost without fail for the past 25 years. So, for example, in each of the Republican victories, In 2000, 2004, 2016, we have a three-month move in credit spreads of 6 to 11 basis points narrower, whereas with the only reliable Democratic election, we have just a one basis point narrower move. And also even looking at the one-month horizon, which is the knee-jerk reaction to the election, we have in 2004 a five basis point narrowing in response to the Republicans, a five basis point narrowing in 2016 in response to the election of President Trump, and a nine basis points widening in 2012 in response to the Democratic win by Obama. In fact, the only year that bucks this trend is 2000, where it spreads widened in the immediate aftermath of the election. But as you just finished talking about, Dan, we attribute that more to the uncertainty surrounding the election outcome than pricing in the political party that won. So this has obvious implications for the 2020 election. If we see a Trump win, we could see spreads move somewhat narrower or on a Biden victory, we'd see a knee-jerk widening response in credit spreads. And I think it's worth basing that view not on just history, but also on the platforms that these candidates are running on. And 
specifically I'll focus on the platforms that President Biden is running on since we know what Trump stands for and his reelection would really just be a continuation of the status quo. And it's not like everything Vice President Biden stands for would be viewed as negative for credit spreads, but I think there are two main ones that the market may price if Joe Biden is ultimately elected. The first one, of course, is his view on taxation, on raising taxes, specifically corporate taxes, but also raising taxes on the wealthy and raising capital gains taxes. Now, these factors, from a theoretical perspective, should not have a huge impact on credit spreads. After all, interest is paid by corporations before taxes, so higher taxes do very little to impact creditworthiness of a corporation, but it does impact the share of earnings that equity holders will receive from a corporation, ultimately lowering equity prices. And so even if the long-term impact of changes in corporate taxes shouldn't theoretically matter for credit spreads, if we see a meaningful reaction in equity markets as a result of heavier taxes, credit spreads will follow. Even if it is ultimately undone in the long end, we're not going to see a big drop in the equity market while credit spreads narrow or remain unchanged. And then the second factor that the market may view as being more risk-off for credit spreads is that President Biden indicated that he would support reinstituting lockdown measures, if recommended by the health community, in order to help stem widespread virus transmission during his presidency. Dan, what are some of the policies on the Democratic platform that might actually be supportive of credit spreads? So I think the first one is potential for larger fiscal stimulus programs and then support for state and local governments. These are, especially at this point in time, I think extremely important for credit spread markets and something that it's becoming more and more clear that we're not going to get another round of stimulus under this Trump administration. So if the Democrats won the White House and Congress, I think it's likely that we would have further fiscal stimulus, which would obviously provide relief to corporations that are in need of it right now, which should lead to narrower spreads. Second, I think we could potentially expect less divisive social relations under a Biden administration. This, I think, would be marginally supportive of credit spreads. But as we saw with the social unrest over the past several months, we didn't see much of a reaction in spread markets. I think if that were to continue, we would eventually see financial markets react to this. So a calming of these tensions would likely be a positive for the market. Yeah. And then there are a couple more neutral policies that might be at least worth mentioning. The Democratic stance on trade, not very different from President Trump's stance. The Democratic view on the large tech companies, again, very similar to President Trump. No matter who wins the election, the drumbeat for breaking up some of these large tech companies grows louder by the day. Infrastructure spending, which is often touted by some as a reason why the market shouldn't react unfavorably to a Biden election. But it seems to me that whether you have Biden or Trump, they both favor infrastructure spending. Recall four years ago, President Trump, one of his main platforms was talking about infrastructure spending. So the fact that he hasn't done it doesn't mean he hasn't supported it. It seems to me at least that Senate Republicans, more budget hawk Republicans in Congress are the primary obstacle there. And so whether or not we get an infrastructure spend It seems to me that what matters more for that factor is the outcome of the Senate race, not necessarily the presidency. So I wouldn't view that as a huge mover of spreads in either direction. And we'll finally note that Vice President Biden supports a green element to his infrastructure spend. So in the event that Biden's elected and we get an infrastructure spending program, there could be an environmental aspect to it, which could mean a little bit more environmental consideration in the financial system in the U.S., similar to what's happening around the globe, particularly in Europe where we're seeing the explosion of the green bond market and more incorporation of sustainability initiatives. 
the U.S. has so far lagged the rest of the world in that. And if Biden is elected, we could see a move that direction. Obviously, that's neutral for spreads, but worth mentioning for fixed income investors. So, Dan, we mentioned here a couple factors on the Democratic platform that would likely be viewed as negative for spreads and some that would like to be viewed as positive for spreads. So how do we balance these factors and come down with an estimate for how the election of either political party would impact credit spreads? Yeah, so I think it's hard to look at a Democratic victory in isolation. It's going to largely depend on how the virus progresses over the next several months. So what I mean by that is if the virus conditions get worse, I think the market's going to start to price to the implications of Biden's perceived willingness to reinstate economic shutdowns in order to combat virus transmission, given what he has said on that topic. However, if virus transmission rates don't increase in the near term, the market will likely then price to the possibility that Biden's first order of business in the White House is going to be a rollback of the Trump tax cuts, which would be negative for the market. So in short, whether Biden's first order of business is a rewrite of the Trump tax code or it is further stimulus in response to a wave of virus concerns, it's likely going to be that the first order move is a credit spread widening. And then turning to the market reaction to a Trump victory, I don't think we'd see a large one since, as we've said a few times here, it's just a continuation of the status quo. I think you would see perhaps a knee-jerk narrowing since now the possibility for a shutdown is less. We won't be going into a shutdown, which should be ultimately good for the economy. But I don't know that I expect to see a significant follow-through on any knee-jerk narrowing to a Trump victory. First, a Trump victory would seem to me that it would be some sort of a vote of confidence in him and the policies he supports. So that would seem to me that he would have renewed power in his fight against Democrats on the stimulus package and ultimately any stimulus that does come being smaller, which wouldn't necessarily be good for the economy. And also, President Trump could view it as a vote of confidence in his trade war with China. So if President Trump is awarded by the public with four more years, it really wouldn't surprise me to see relations with China suddenly deteriorate sharply in the months after the election. So any knee-jerk narrowing we get in credit spreads may not be sustained, and I think it would just be sort of a non-event if Trump were to win again. All right, so Dan, so we've talked a lot here, but let's try to put some numbers around what the presidential election is going to mean for credit spreads. I think we put together six of the most realistic scenarios, two scenarios where President Trump stays in office, one where there's great uncertainty post-election regarding who won and whether or not there'll be a contested election, and the second where Trump wins and it's a rather clear victory, and then four scenarios where Biden wins. One, Biden wins with significant uncertainty and a split Congress. Two, Biden wins with a split Congress, but a clear election outcome. The third scenario being a Democratic victory with a Democratic sweep of Congress and a clear election outcome. And the fourth being a Joe Biden presidency with a Democratic sweep and significant uncertainty in the weeks following the election. Those are the six scenarios, Dan. And how did we break it down in our estimates for the impact on credit spreads? So going from most bullish to most bearish for credit spreads, I think the best case scenario for credit investors is a Trump win with a clear election outcome. We expect about a 10 basis point knee-jerk narrowing, and then spreads would probably give back some of that and, and settle around five basis points narrower in that scenario. The second most bullish scenario would be a Biden win with a gridlock situation and a clear outcome. So the market, as we've discussed, doesn't react too much to a gridlock situation because there's an expectation that 
this Biden administration would be unlikely to get very much through. For example, I don't think there would be a rewrite of the tax code priced in if Biden won, but the Democrats did not win the Senate. So in this scenario, we have a couple basis points of backup in credit spreads, both in the one-month and three-month time horizons. Third is an eventual Trump win following a period of uncertainty. So we've already noted that we expect about 20 to 30 basis points of widening given an uncertain election outcome. In this scenario, we think that the market would take back these losses and then settle about five basis points narrower once the election result comes into clarity. The fourth is a Biden election with a gridlock scenario where the Republicans keep the Senate and uncertainty prevails. So after this uncertainty, we expect spreads would settle about five basis points wider than the pre-election levels. Fifth is a Biden win with the Democratic sweep. So Democrats would take the Senate and the House and a clear result. And so we think that the knee-jerk response there would be about five to 10 basis points of widening. And then spreads would eventually leak wider over a longer term horizon. This is what we've generally seen in scenarios in the past where Democrats have won the presidency in both houses of Congress. We think the most bearish scenario of this outcome would be a Biden win in a Democratic sweep following a period of uncertainty. And in this scenario, we think spreads would probably end up settling about 15 basis points wider. But it's important to note there that while the longer term move is 15 basis points wider, given the uncertainty, we could see a near term move in credit spreads of more than 15 basis points. Is that right? Yeah, we think depending on the type of uncertainty we see, as we've said, the knee jerk move could be as much as 20 to 30 basis points or more. It's hard to quantify how much this uncertainty would be worth because of the potential range that the uncertainty could take. And so now the big question is, What's priced into financial markets? Because given where we've seen the polls over the past few weeks and months, it would seem that the market should be pricing to a Biden victory with some chance of a blue sweep in the Senate. And if that were the case, and if we're correct on our analysis here, spreads should be wider. But we haven't seen any real credit spread widening in the past months, actually really since the pandemic. So that means one of two things is happening. Either the market isn't pricing that yet, or two, Spread should be much narrower if not for the election. These aren't obviously mutually exclusive and no doubt both are at play to at least some degree, but which one is more at play? In my view, I think that the market just hasn't really priced it in yet for a couple of reasons. First, obviously, COVID-19, its impact on the economy and the potential for vaccine dominates the market's attention and is driving the majority of trading so far. It just seems that the impact of the presidential election is going to be dwarfed by what happens with the virus and what happens with the vaccine over the next few months. And as a result, people just haven't really been pricing the election yet. And another reason for that is even if you were to price the election, what would you do? By that, I mean, we haven't seen much reliability in the polls. In just the past four years, we saw a surprise Trump victory, a surprise Brexit outcome. There just isn't a sure enough conviction that the polls are right or what the outcome of this election will be to actually incorporate it into your view on the market, especially given everything else that's going on in the macro landscape. So it doesn't seem to me that we are pricing yet. I expect that that pricing will start to accelerate here in the weeks ahead. If Vice President Biden's lead in the polls is maintained through the debate process and everything, and then if ultimately we see a blue wave in November, a further widening reaction in credit spreads upon the actual event. Well, Dan, we're reaching the end of our time here today. And to reward anyone who's listened all the way to the end, I will ask you, 
What is your views on the election? Who do you think will win the presidency? And who do you think will come out as the winner of the Senate? So I think if the election were held today, that Joe Biden would win fairly comfortably. Prediction markets are giving him a 58% chance right now. 538 in other models give him something more than that, 73% according to 538. I think Biden does have a comfortable lead despite some of the skepticism around these polls. But I do think there's a lot of time between now and the election and a lot could happen. Obviously, we have three debates. We have a lot of uncertainty given the virus and the economy. So I would think the potential for the race to tighten between now and then is very high. But I do think that Biden will end up winning. With respect to the Senate, I think that's going to be a closer race. But I I would give the Democrats the edge to sweep, especially if Biden were to win the presidency. I'm with you on the Oval Office, at least. It it looks to me like Biden's going to take the election. I think just the way that President Trump has handled the coronavirus and obviously the devastating impact it's had on the country, rightly or wrongly, I think Biden's going to be delivering the message of change when people want to see things change and that Trump is unlikely to earn a second term. Regarding the Senate, I think it's a bit less clear. Obviously, it's going to be very close. But just looking at the Senate seats up for election this year, I think the Democrats have a pretty tall hill to climb. I mean, you've got some southern states, Kansas, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, that would most likely be leaning Republican in only a few clear blue states, Michigan, Colorado, Arizona. So it's going to come down to really four states, North Carolina, Iowa, Montana, Maine, that are going to be looked at as swing states, and the Republicans really just have to take one of them if the previous states go along expected lines. And first of all, I think that's not a tall order, but I also think that I could see a dynamic playing out this year where voters are very split, where a voter may not love either presidential candidate and then ultimately will vote for Biden for president just given some of the divisive issues we've had over the past year the coronavirus, et cetera. But then we'll vote Republican on the Senate seat to sort of hedge and stay true to their core beliefs as a voter, even if they are voting for Biden as president. So my base case right now is that Biden will win the presidency and the Republicans will hold on to the Senate with a slim majority. But for me, that could obviously change. As you said, when we get to the debate, it's going to be crucial that Vice President shows that he's up to the task and goes toe-to-toe with Trump on the debate stage. So I think that will happen, but you know, there's always the chance that we're wrong there. Anything else to add, Dan? No, I think we've covered it. Thank you for listening to Macro Horizons. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. 
Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 